We acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded, ancestral, and occupied traditional territory of the Anishinaabe Nation, the people of the three fires known as Ojibwe, Odawa, and Potawatomi Nations. And furthermore, we thank the Chippewa of Saugeen and the Chippewa of Nawash, now known as the Saugeen Ojibwe Nation, who are the traditional keepers of this land. In some parts of Canada, treaties were signed with First Nations that gave incoming settlers rights to much of the land, while in other areas, few or no treaties were signed. Unceded land was never given or legally signed away to Britain or Canada. It was stolen and continues to be occupied and governed by settlers today. As we live, work, surf, and play, we say mahalo to the Métis, Inuit, and Indigenous peoples of Turtle Island and from around the world who have stewarded these lands and sacred surf spots for thousands of years. We recognize their amazing resistance, resilience, and strength in the face of ongoing dispossession, colonial violence, and injustice. In particular, we wish for justice to be brought for the murdered and missing Indigenous children and victims of Canada's residential school system. We believe that for true healing and harmony to occur, we must end the cycle of oppression while working together as we move forward in truth and reconciliation. We can be better. We can do better. Welcome to Permastoke. I'm your host, Derek Hyatt. In this podcast, we talk to your favorite surfers and stand-up paddleboarders from across the Great Lakes, Canada, the U.S., and beyond. We take a peek into their lives and find out what it means to be stoked. Is it a natural state of euphoria, elation, a relentless commitment? I also talk to other permastoked individuals with ties to surf culture, such as artists, entrepreneurs, environmentalists, filmmakers, musicians, and much more. Join us each week in learning from these field experts and enthusiasts, while also being inspired by their undying passion, insights, and rad tales. Permastoked is presented by Freshwater Surf Goods, your surf brand devoted to spreading the stoke across the unsalted seas and cultivating pride amongst the surf community. We do this by providing products and apparel that celebrate the awesomeness of both Great Lakes and Canadian surf culture. Stand out in the tribe by rocking our gear today. But hey, don't just stand around on the beach looking cool. Check out our Stoke Academy and try surfing or stand up paddleboarding. Get away to Ontario's magnificent Bruce Peninsula, where we offer Paddle Canada certified basic and advanced sub courses private lessons, tours, subsurfing, and even beginner surfing lessons. Visit www.freshwatersurfgoods.com to sign up for your freshwater fantasy. In this episode, I chat with founder of the Lake Surfistas, Robin Peking, about realty, Great Lake surfing, the Wildwood Surf Club, and of course, the Lake Surfistas. This episode was recorded on May 10th, 2021, and contains coarse language that could be deemed offensive. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to 
Robin Paking, welcome to Permastoked, Canada's surfing podcast. How are you? I'm doing good today, Derek. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. It is so great to have you on the Permastoked podcast. Man, you've been like a hard guest to pin down. We've been, we've been talking <laughs> about doing this for a while. I know. I know. It's been, uh, I know, yeah, a couple of months at least. I think yeah. it was last year. Um, yeah, scheduling and you know, personal mindsets have been in this lockdown very difficult for for me. I'm not admittedly, and I'm sure that a lot of listeners can uh, attest to that as well. So I'm I'm glad I'm here today, and I'm I'm glad to bring my voice and uh, share it with you, Derek. Awesome! I'm happy to hear it. So, in particular, what is driving you nuts about COVID? What's oh. got you over the edge? This, um, well, it's, I mean, the lack of traveling is, is a big thing. Um, admittedly, you know, jobs and business and that kind of stuff is, is struggling. I'm not going to lie about that. Yeah. That's also a big struggle. Um, that's got getting me down, not being able to see my friends and not being able to, you know, enjoy big meals with my family at like my, my mom and my, uh, my sibling and, um, those are really the biggest, the hardships of not being able to connect physically with people by, you know, giving them a hug, shaking their hand. And I, yeah. I have a really good handshake. Like I have a good business nice. handshake. Yeah. So that's one of these things. It's like, oh, I can't do that right now. Can't oh, experience yeah. that. Yeah. Can't experience that. Um, so it, it's, it's unfortunate, but aside from all that, there is still much to be thankful for. Um, but, uh, with, with all of this, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like the lows are really low. The highs are, they don't feel as high anymore because we're so limited in what we can uh, do. But, um, I think you're right. Yeah. 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 I know it's, I think there was a, a couple of articles written recently about this whole mental state that a lot of people are talking about called languishing mm. and it's not quite depression. It's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a daily struggle for many. And I also kind of empathetically feel that from the other members of, of my family, I've got two uh, teenage stepsons mm. that are so dying to go back to school and see their friends. Really? Wow. And, and that's tough for them. And I, and I feel for them so much because they're at, yeah. that, that, at this age where social interaction is really important. And, yeah. you know, not, no one is, none of us are really, really having it truly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I know I had my birthday on the weekend and it Oh yeah, happy felt, birthday. Uh, thank you. Just felt kind of vanilla. I mean it was great with my yeah. wife and everything, but you know, we even thought like, oh, let's have a friend over. But then you know what? That's <laughs> illegal. It's like, yeah. you know, like yeah. it's next level. It's like it's illegal to have someone over. I never thought I'd be saying that in my life. Like that's just seems so bizarre. Yeah, I know. I feel you. And like, like last year, so my birthday is March, the 19th of March. And so for 2020, it was literally at the, at the wake of, of everything oh, coming yeah. down on everyone. And it was my 40th birthday. Ooh. So I've now spent my entire forties in lockdown oh. and you know, this lockdown. I know. So it feels like the end of my thirties was like this, like, yay, thirties. And then like, Wabam! Yeah. Lockdown. So You're... I had like, <laughs> I know, it was such a, a marker. Um, I had planned this like big, um, you know, bar night where I was just going to hang out at the bar and invite whoever could come just to come in and out and 
uh, it was such a fun, like I it was such a fun idea, and I was so excited to like have a casual 40th birthday last year. And it turns out that the bar that we were intending to have it um, ended up being the first bar in Toronto to close down because of COVID. And I was oh, like, no. ah. and like um, you know, I, I guess the the naive part of us that that really didn't understand what was going on in April 2020 was like, yeah, yeah, no, we'll we'll just postpone it for the summertime. Exactly. Yeah. Now here we are in 2021. That was funny in the beginning. It was like, yeah, when things go back to normal, um, that's what everyone was saying. When things go back to normal, I mean, I remember when I got, uh, you know, told to go home from work. I left a bunch of stuff on my desk. I was thinking, like, oh, we'll be back in two weeks. You know, never yeah. stepped foot in that office ever again. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. That's tough. Yeah, yeah. Same thing with the kids. They were like, yeah, two weeks extra of. Uh, of spring break because they went it was spring break and then the uh, public health said don't come back and they they haven't been back so this has been like effectively yeah. the longest spring break they've ever had and they're now like we they're crawling out of their skin they want to get out we want we want them to get out but you yeah. know there's there's dangers and stuff but yeah I found this time for me interesting from a social perspective because right when COVID started too was basically when I started this podcast and <laughs> it would appear to the world that I'm very extroverted and you know that's true in some ways but in other ways I'm extremely introverted in the sense that like to, to chill I need to be at home, I need that quiet or I need to be out surfing or something like that's where mm -hmm. I get charged up. I don't get charged up from the bar night or whatever. Like I have fun doing that, but yeah. it's, it takes a toll on me and I have to recoup from that. So for me, COVID is actually, it's a big deal, but in terms yeah. of uh, social life and things like that, I think I've probably managed better than most because I kind of like that quiet anyway. And then I've been having this great social outlet with the podcast. I mean, this has allowed me to get to know so many cool people. So it, I know it's like sort of the flip side, but I just wanted to share that, that it's kind of interesting because I will also say, I remember before the pandemic, I would say that whenever someone came into a meeting at work virtually or something. It was always such mm -hmm. a chore. Everybody's fidgeting mm -hmm. around, trying to figure out the machines and the projectors. I feel like we got that stuff down now. Yeah, like there was a uh, learning curve for that. And it, yeah. Zoom and Google Meet and Teams and all these things kind of like picked up pretty quick. Yeah, but it's amazing how it's like revolutionized things. Like now all of a yeah, sudden yeah. some people aren't going back to offices. And yep. so there and I think some of that's really positive. Some of it's yeah. gonna suck that, you know, we're not all getting in the same room together anymore. But if you can avoid like two hours of travel and still get your work done in the virtual meeting, so it, it's interesting what it has brought out as well. And I hope when everyone is kind of vaccinated and, and things are safe. I hope that we retain some of that to a healthy degree anyway, and don't just expect everybody get to the office just for the sake of being there and yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff, you know? I I definitely agree with that. Um, my um, my spouse, my um, uh, Ben, he is, he's working from home. He's working 100% from home in his home office. And yeah, it's, 
his productivity is pretty good. And Mm. even though he is looking forward to go back physically into the office to meet people and and discuss and have these like mini conversations that you can have in the office that, that are impossible virtually. I don't think, um, and this is for a lot of people that I do know, I don't think anyone wants to go back to the office full time. Like if it's a couple of times a week, if it's, you know, you're predominantly doing all your stuff from home, I think that will equate to this balance because I know a lot of people right now don't feel that home life work balance because even with real estate, I'm on kind of on call all the time if I have to be. And even if it's like, 10 p.m. and I'm watching TV. I'm at I'm at home. I've been home all day. I may have to respond to an email. So it's a. Uh, um, I hope it brings back a, a balance. So because yeah. I think before all of this, we were all too much go go. There was it was imbalance. Mm. It's still imbalance and now another way. So let's tip the scales to, yeah. to something, some semblance of um, of goodness for everyone, kind of thing. I do think. I like what you said. I think that working from home a little bit could create that work-life balance we've all been talking about and looking for because so many people have said, man, if I could only, if I could just work four days a week and be home for three, I think the compromise is if I could work five days a week, but one of those be at home, that would almost feel like a three-day weekend in a way or more, even though you're working, you still have that connection with home. It's that feeling that you have. Yeah. yeah, it's that feeling that people need to have where you don't feel that pressure of, of you know, get up at six, get and, you know, go into your your commute, depending on, you know, wherever it is, your office is, uh, battling with the 401 or battling with the TTC or go or go train. Um, yeah. it's, a, it, it's a lot wow. of touch points. But, yeah, I don't even know. Like, so when I think about it, it's like, how the heck did I, when I was commuting, um when I had like a nine to five kind of job in an office like years ago, it's like, how the hell did I do that? Really? How, like, yeah. how did any of us do that? All but the energy done. and the effort. <laughs> yeah, I don't miss those days of riding down the 401. I lived in Toronto for a little while too and and was working there. So I remember that. And now speaking of real estate, I am moving ah, into yeah. the I am moving into the woods. I'm going into the quiet bush. Congratulations. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Um, but now, real estate, so I've recently been through this whole thing, and mm-hmm. I didn't know this until I put this on my real estate agent, is that you guys are also a little bit of a counselor, wouldn't you say? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. There's a, <laughs> real estate agents are, I, I find that they, we're put under a really bad light. We're under we're put under under this light of um uh and, and not to say that uh all agents are, are really good there are a lot of um there are crooked people out there there's crooked people in any industry yeah. of course um and but real estate agents get this bad rap that we're doing it for the money that we're we're greedy we're uh we don't actually do any work um along the lines of a used car salesman and those people are oh. are just as relevant and, and it's like why (laughs) it's harsh it's harsh when in fact especially when you're dealing with somebody like a buyer or first time first time home buyer and i deal with a lot of people like that there are valid questions there are a lot there's a lot of emotional charging of going through the um the process of putting in an offer or losing that offer it's a lot of money is at stake Mm. and 
knowing that I'm dealing with somebody's livelihood and life savings is not a job that I take lightly. And, but it's also one where I have to be firm in terms of like, okay, you've, you've expressed your, your goal. I have to help you achieve that goal and be realistic yet also, um, set that expectation of saying, Hey, I know what the market is like. And you first time home buyer really don't know what the market is like. It's going to be a bit of a, a shock. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of counseling involved. There's a lot of really getting to know people. Um, and I, I, I'm never, have never been the person to sort of force someone to say, you got to put an offer on this right away. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's like, do you want to do this? Because if you do, then this is what, this is the steps that you're going to have to take. Yeah. It's a lot real. There's a lot of work that goes on with real estate that people don't think about. And yeah, it's it's a lot. (laughs) Well, my experience being through it the first time I thought our real estate agent was excellent and I appreciated like just how transparent they were. And I mean, I remember there were a few houses we went in that I was really excited for. They looked amazing on paper, but then Mm -hmm. you get there and there'd like be a mildew smell or something. And you know, something wasn't up and they would be completely transparent. Like I was at this place five years ago and it was a dump and it was listed for like, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. And now it's like five. And so I really appreciated some of those insights. Um, Yeah. But I made the remark about the counselor because I specifically, we, we called our real estate agent. Um, it was, we had, we hadn't made the offer, but we had said, okay, we want to start the process of making the offer. And so mm-hmm. we were in, in our minds and sort of was just lying in bed thinking about it the one night. Cause like you said, it's a huge decision. We yeah. found this house. It's an hour away from where I work. Um, which is a bit scary for me. Cause like I said, I've, I've not been doing the commute thing for a while. I like not having to commute. So that was probably the biggest scare for me was how are you going to fare with driving an hour every day for two hours and not on the 401. We're talking like on a highway that is going to get blown over with snow Mm. and like really treacherous. And there's going to be days you won't be able to go to work because you're just going to be completely snowed in. So there's a lot to think about. And I called our real estate agent, just kind of freaking out, like I'm freaking out. And she's like, in a good way. I'm like, no, in a bad way. And sort of just, (laughs) you know, put out all my worries. And then, you know, she just really put my head at rest and put things in context. And and I really appreciated that because like you said, there's a lot happening. And I hadn't thought of it that way. Your life savings are at stake. Yeah. That is. Yeah. I mean, like, it's a huge responsibility. And of course, there's, I have to make sure that there, that there is uh, verbiage included where it's not completely 100% at stake. um, And that I've, as a real estate agent, you have to communicate these, these legalities and these, these rights that you have as a buyer that are in the agreement. Um, But yeah, no, it's ultimately, it's, you're the one, the client is the one that's going to be living there. Um, has going to be paying for the mortgage uh, afterwards. And um, I don't feel right as a person to be like, yeah, yeah, no, just buy it and not tell you all the truth and you have to deal with it. And then I, you know, walk away with my commission kind of thing. That's not good business. And um, yeah, and of course that leads to a lot of questions and a lot of freakouts from from clients, rightfully so. And my job is to make sure that these freakouts are 
you know, like sort of tamp down and like, let's understand why you're freaking out and let's give you some, some better context here. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, a hard, it's a hard job. Wow, that's great. <laughs> it is a hard job. So I have a question for you here to understand the market a little better. And sure. obviously this is coming from more of a, a townie perspective. I'm not speaking, <laughs> okay. you know, I'm not talking about Toronto or Vancouver because that's a different story. I'm speaking more from the perspective of like rural Ontario, small mm. town and rural, rural Ontario. So growing up, I remember my parents, we had our house was one block away from the lake i grew up surfing there oh and, lovely yeah and my parents bought our house for one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and that was in you know the early 90s mm. um so i had always had this expectation that yeah i'll probably buy a house it'll be around two hundred thousand or whatever and i used to have this thought that because the lake said the waterfront houses were like three hundred thousand or more which now I think is cheap, but as a kid, I thought, holy, that's bloody expensive. There's no way yeah. I would ever spend that much money. Um, so now I'm reflecting and I'm thinking, first of all, you have to spend way more than that to get property that's not even lakefront property. But my mm, question mm -hmm. is this. So basically my expectation had to shift. Now, if you want to get in the housing market, I would say, even in more small town rural town Ontario what we experienced was you're paying at least four five or six hundred thousand yep. dollars that and sounds even, correct yeah and even if you make an even if the house is listed 400 or five hundred thousand there's a good chance someone's going to offer a hundred thousand more and put it in yeah. that next bracket and that's what we were experiencing Yep. we couldn't even we couldn't even compete with that luckily yeah. we finally found something that fit and you know there's a whole story to that but either way we got in but my question for you is how is this going to pan out with the people who have bought homes in the past few years let's say they got their homes for three or four hundred thousand mm -hmm. and now anyone trying to do the same thing has to spend, like we said, at least probably five or six. Mm -hmm. So there's yep. like this big gap now between yep. what people have spent on a mortgage. So my question yeah. is, I'm coming in here, you know, near like more in the half a million dollars investment range now thinking mm -hmm. I have to pay this mortgage. Meanwhile, my buddy has to pay for his mortgage with say $200,000 less. So how's that going to work out with our our incomes, our spending, our retirement planning. I yeah. mean, I'm kind of blown away. I, I'm so new at it. I haven't even really been able to think about it. It's a, it's a huge question. You know what? That is a, a affordability and um, how we spend our money and wages. And this is all a bigger question involved in regards to like inflation, the economy um mortgage rates what the bank of canada states and it's it's this is a loaded question and you know what this is a question that a lot of people have been asking themselves and right now during lockdown people are saying that real estate is the driving economy with mortgage rates as low as they are under like almost under 1.5 i think and yeah. with the bank of canada announcing that they're not going to be increasing 
mortgage rates. It's, uh, yeah, people are being able to um, borrow more, but at the same time, the, the price tag of everything has gone up. Yeah. Uh, with blind bidding and demand being so high, it's kind of like free enterprise right now with the market and the people are putting in hundreds of thousands and it's nuts. A lot of people in Toronto who have purchased even five years ago are able to uh, bank out or cash out of the um, the assets and the uh, you know the the wealth they've accumulated with the the raise in uh, uh, their real estate value. So if you bought something for three hundred k, you know five hundred five years ago, yeah, that house now in Toronto is or that condo right now is now worth you know perhaps double that, and uh, that this is where that money is coming from going into rural um, places because now people have in the city are now working from home. They need bigger spaces. They've realized that they have, they have, um, you know, they have assets in their equity in their, in their existing real estate, and then they can expand. And that's kind of, and it just ended up branching out beyond the GTA throughout Southern Ontario, throughout wow. everywhere. Yeah. And how does this uh, affect everybody's spending in the future? You know what, Derek, I have no idea. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <I> have, <laughs> That's good I have enough. No idea. Unless, unless if there's going to be some kind of government intervention, just like the stress test was yeah. introduced after like the market did that weird thing in 2017, okay. then uh, I don't know. There was a lot of parallels to this market with 2017, uh, but um, the what we don't have, it, what's unprecedented, obviously, is, is the pandemic yeah. and people's work. So, you know what? I have no idea. Well, In the meantime, I, I, <laughs> like I just have to play by the rules. Yeah. But what I've also thought about is how many of us have heard those stories about our grandparents like, oh, oh we yeah. bought our house for $10,000 or something like this. Yeah. And But we all understand that at the time, that was a lot of money. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it sort of worked itself out. So I'm wondering, are we just in a new phase of that? is you know suddenly like maybe will our wages just going to have to increase will i hope so five hundred thousand dollars <laughs> suddenly be the sort of new entry level normal that nobody thinks twice about because now maybe we're all making like a hundred thousand dollars a year now for maybe jobs that didn't pay that before i don't know i'm just spitballing out loud but i'm just I think these are pretty yeah. good questions, though. <laughs> They're definitely valid questions. And you know what? The the fact that 500K is the kind of going right now minimum for anything. I already have clients who are not even batting an eye of that number. They're like, 500K, great. That's super cheap. Um, yeah. And that's kind of like the case with this market. Um, I, I worry about it. I'm not going to lie. I, I have buyers who have put in you know, 10 offers and have lost out on each one um, because we are, you know, in competition with 20, 15, 20, 30 uh, deals or 30 other offers. And that's, that's a lot. So there's very little inventory out there. Um, The demand is absolutely high. There's a shit ton of buyers, um, but there's not enough to go around. Yeah. So I don't know, as a, as a cog in this machine as well, (laughs) <laughs> there's something's got to give and whether that's an increase in, in wages, uh, some other kind of intervention or everybody just, you know, gets a lot of money somehow from the government. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. 
And I have no idea how that's going to pan out, but this is this is definitely a, a market situation that I have never encountered in my 15 years of real estate. Okay. Yeah, this is new to me. Well, it's not yeah. it's not new. Uh, these parameters are new. This experience is not not entirely quite new. It's just um, it's a lot. Let's say I bought a house. Let's say I bought a house for three hundred thousand dollars a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. and now I want to sell it. Mm -hmm. It's not me that's coming up with that proposed price tag, is it? Uh, well, technically, it's the the power is in the uh, the seller to set whatever price you want to take. Okay. Um, like if you want to list your house for you know a dollar, you're free to do so. If you want to list it for a million, again, you're free to do so. Um, but of course, there's going to be you know consequences in, in each, and that's why you have a real estate agent because that person is going to um, cons consult with you the best um, uh, the best way to go about selling your house, okay. and we'll give you market comparables and say, okay, well, this house X amount of days ago has sold for similarly for this much, and uh, based on these data points, um, you should sell at X price or you should list at this price. And then of course there's the whole idea of like, what is the environment or the culture like in the real estate market that you're in? So obviously rural Ontario is gonna have a different kind of culture versus Toronto. And those kind of come into place here. And these kinds of nuances, buyers and sellers don't really have uh, the ear for, unless you do, of course, there's a lot of um, really in tune people. Uh, and that's where the agent comes on because we're giving that, that value uh, of understanding. So we, position you correctly in, in the, uh, you know, in the market. Okay. Cause from a buyer perspective, I can say it's easy for me to think, Hey, you bought that house for $300,000 and now you're selling it for six or seven. Dude, that seems greedy, man. Like, what are you doing? Why are you trying to screw over the guy <laughs> who's, I was you five years ago. I mean, if you were, yeah. if you've been in the market and you have equity, it's one thing, but for those of us who are coming in here for the first time from, from rental yeah. units, we got no advantage. Um, it's true. So it it's true. easy for me to point fingers and say, dude, you're greedy. But then on the other hand, I also realized like, well, he's got to go somewhere too. Yeah. And he's not going to be able to necessarily get in somewhere. So I yeah. get that, but I still can't yeah. get away from the idea that I feel like Anyone who's had a house prior to this new market, they all have a big advantage and we don't. I guess the advantage maybe yeah. we have is the ultra low interest rate versus like our parents would have paid high interest, um, lower mortgage. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's difficult to say, right? And uh, for a lot of people, it's come down to this idea of like haves and have nots, and that mm. conversation comes into play. And that's a difficult conversation to have because nobody wants to be the have not, but uh, there are a lot of people who uh, may never have the, you know, may never reach that goal of home ownership. And sometimes it's not even it's not even their fault because there's so many, you know, there's this conversation of millennials. Uh, who are battled up, up against, you know, massive inflation rates, huge, um, you know, huge debt ratios, huge, all of these things where everything is more expensive and they're making less money. And then, of course, the idea of being able to afford something as big as property becomes a, a huge question. So yeah. it's hard. Yeah. And I, wow. and I hope that it's, it's a lot. And then I see yeah. that for a lot of my clients and it's a discussion that I have 
for a lot of people. And I'm, I'm grateful that I basically, my, um, my partner and I, we got this house just before the pandemic and wow. just before everything exploded. So we're really at that tail end before shit hit the fan. Yeah. So I'm I'm in that that path of being lucky, but there's a lot of people who aren't. Like, how do you? You know, it's yeah. weird. It's a real estate's been really racking my brain in the last several yeah. years for sure. Uh, it's not. It has not become an easier industry to be Sounds in. Like to it, be yeah. quite honest with you, wow. it's Sounds kicked my like ass it. a lot. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you too. The only comfort as a new buyer in the higher price, the only comfort I find is knowing that this is just the way it is. And I, know. I can't I know. imagine, um, you know, the price is going down because like, if you just bought a house for 500 K, would you ever go back and sell that for three? Like, no, who's going to want to do that. So I feel like this is kind of here to stay. I mean, I'm not an expert, but that's just my, kind of guess yeah that was a big concern for a lot of people is the um you know what what's my home value going to be how am i going to be able to refinance is this going to cause a huge uh crash in you know in a couple years to um you know just like in 2008 when the u.s had that huge housing crash is that going to be a problem and of course people are asking that uh question and i don't have a crystal ball we can take a look at history and see what's happened in other markets but we've never had a pandemic before uh, like this. And so it's hard to say what's going to happen. And for one piece of literature that, you, that says one thing, you can easily find another piece of literature that's going to say the opposite of that. So it's like, well, you know, at the same at really what happens is we have to take care of right now. Mm. And that's really the most important thing. We have to take care of now our, uh, you know, things that are important. Do you have housing? Do you, you know, let's get you a house. Do you have, are you mentally well? Are you feeling okay? No, let's, let's, let's deal with that now. Are you sick? Let, or are you going to be sick in the future? Let's deal with that now. So I think there's this now, this uh, movement of people becoming a lot more present and mm. saying, okay, yeah, we can predict all this shit that can happen in the future based on this apocalyptic scenario that we're having right now. <laughs> Sorry for being a little dramatic. But no, I like, love it. Feels a little bit. So, um, you know, let's, let's just deal with now and that's, and, and let's deal with now and let, let's make our future a lot less complicated. And yeah. that's not just up to us individually, but it's up to policymakers. It's up to a lot of other things. And I, I hope, I hope as a society that we kind of figure it out. I think we're kind of figuring it out, but also at the same time, we're losing ourselves at the same time. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a those are hard questions, yo. Yeah. At the end of the day, though, <laughs> at the end of the day, I'm grateful that despite all the odds, we're able to afford it and do it anyways. Yeah. So for that, I have to be grateful. But let's exactly. move on. This is the Permastoke podcast, <laughs> yeah. not not real not estate. Not the real estate. <laughs> real estate with Robin, although this is incredibly relevant to me right now. So thank you for sharing it. And if there's any other new disgruntled homeowners out there, I'm sure you could relate to this. So I hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> but but let's move on. Robin, you're you're from the GTA, you live in the GTA area, but let's hear a little bit about you know how you got there, you know, how'd you grow up yeah. and how'd you find this thing called surfing on the Great Lakes? Absolutely. So I am, um, I was born and raised in Toronto. Um, 
actually, uh, funny enough, is that my mom talked about how uh, just before she got into labor, came into labor with me, she was taking a walk in High Park, um, which was close to uh, St. Joseph Health Center, which is where I was born 41 years ago. And uh, yeah, and so I've basically lived my entire life along the lake, along the lake shore. So that's was that was like my me being born. <laughs> my yeah. um my parents are originally from the Philippines. Uh, my mom and my dad immigrated to Toronto in the early seventies, um, and we are they were part of that wave of uh, you know Filipinos that came to Toronto. My dad actually followed my uncle who came to Toronto as a nurse. Um, and my dad came here as an electrical engineer, uh, sponsored my mom. Um, and basically, my dad had followed all a bunch of cousins and relatives that have done the migration towards um, North America, as a lot, of, a lot of Filipinos did in that time, to search for a better life. Um, this was after World War II, of course. And so there was a lot of issues that were going on. Um, my dad, actually, my mom and my dad were, were very, uh, uh, I don't want to say traditional, but like they grew up with a very, like a Bush mentality. Mm. Like they were islands people. My dad hunted with a lot of indigenous, with the indigenous groups in Bataan called uh, the Aita. Um, he spent a lot of his time in the jungle. He spent a lot of his time, um, you know, fishing, hunting, being in the water, all that kind of stuff. My grandfather was um, one of the first uh, directors that brought um, running water to our town of Marivales uh, a long, long time ago. He was a merchant marine, sailed around the world. I wouldn't say sailed, but he was on a boat around the world um, to make money for my family. So the water and nature and this kind of living has just been part of my life ever since. So when my parents moved here, of course, there are the, you know, there's the immigrant story of sacrifice and trying to survive and getting a job and that kind of stuff. And I am part of that story. But what is very different about my family is that we, they wanted to have enough of their traditional lifestyle in, in, in the Philippines and bring it here. So they were big on gardening. We had, um, our small townhouse that we grew up in didn't have a lot of, uh, you know, land space. So they were community gardeners back in the eighties before it was even like a popular thing. They, um, you know, rented a plot, uh, through the city and they grew their garlic, their okra, they grew all kinds of things. And this was sort of like what we did in the springtime, um, as a kid. And they were also very big on the water. We had this tiny 16 foot fishing boat, like this aluminum fishing boat, that we would, um, I was so excited to like just be on the boat as a kid, and we would sort of put around uh, the um, around Lake Ontario. Um, we would put the boat in at Humber Bay Shores or at um, you know Marie Curtis Park, and this we're talking like in the you know late eighties and 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 early nineties to do this. And so my exposure to the lake has not so much. Like I never really discovered it. It was just always a part of my life. Yeah. Um, living off of Lakeshore, and you know, it was a place where I went to with my friends to hang out and uh, you know smoke pot because that was like what you did as a teenager. Yeah. But also as a kid, it was a place that I um, had always been a part of. So it wasn't so much that I discovered the lake; it was always there in my life as as part of me. 
Um, so, you know, there was that. So we, aside from, in addition to that, there were a lot of trips to the ocean uh, to visit my uncles in Connecticut and Florida and California. Um, there was a lot of uh, excursions up north uh, to Bala, Bracebridge for fishing. And we had a very charmed, like, travel life when it came to um, explorations with water and land. And that happened to be, happened to be because that's what brought my dad a lot of peace. Because I, my dad passed away five years ago, but from how I kind of interpret this and how I saw it is that he experienced a lot of sacrifice and, and all that kind of stuff and racism um, in his, in his life. And I know that when he was outside of work, he was the most happiest um, being in his garden, walking to the lake and just, you know, connecting with nature and land in the way he, he knew how to do it. And that's kind of like spilled on to us. So kind of fast forward towards like, you know, 2004, I guess. I'd always been a huge fan of surfing. Um, I watched a lot of Baywatch, 90210, you know, you know, that was kind of, you know, my introduction to it as a kid. So I, you know, never once thought that surfing the Great Lakes was a big, was ever a thing. But I also knew that I lived by this system that we had explored, that we had been in, that we had been a part of my whole life. So when I saw that you could surf the Great Lakes sometime in 2014, 2005, I think, um, like when I just like had discovered that you can do that, literally a huge switch went off in my brain and said, this is exactly what I need to do. And this is what I have to spend all of my money on, all of my energy. And it suddenly became my my calling. And okay, that's... but had you gone out <laughs> surfing yet? I had, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I kind of missed that part. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of like a huge, it's, it's a lot of surf because it, it kind of covers a lot of time in my life because it's always kind of been there because the water and the ocean and all of that has always been part of my, my life. In 2001, we went on a family trip to Hawaii. Okay. And yes, that's the first time I had um, actually right. had uh, the chance to surf. It was the Waikiki Beach Boys that I you know, found uh, um, a little blurb about them in a Lonely Planet book. And I was like, to my uh, siblings, I was like, this is the one. We're going to go here. We're going to learn how to surf. And I was so excited. Um, and I got my ass kicked because, you know, obviously I had no idea how, how difficult it was going to be, how far yeah. I had to paddle out. I was a cigarette smoker at the time, so uh, my lungs were not good. And it was yeah. just like, it was a lot of, and also being 20 years old, 21 years old, I think, you know, you're, you're a different person. <laughs> like, so, yeah. um, I don't know what I was expecting to do, but I, uh, I tried it out and I, I wanted to do it again. And I was so excited that that was finally going to be my um, first time actually surfing. And that was like, you know, right. And this right was at Waikiki Beach, you said? Yes. Yeah. Which would have been super crowded, wasn't it? I Yeah, I guess it was, yeah. it was pretty crowded. Yeah. I had the instructor try to push me into waves. I was pop, popping up too quickly. I was, I think I was just so excited that I wasn't paying attention yeah. at all and knowing what to do. Uh, it was also very overwhelming uh, as well. So, um, yeah, that was my first, I guess, experience trying to surf <laughs> then. Okay. Um, but and you, I had been... that stoke, you had that stoke festering inside of you from 2001 till 2004. Oh, before. Then. Even before oh, okay. that. That stoke was before. It was like, 
The first time I ever saw surfers ever in my life was 2000, sorry, 1995 or 1996. Uh, we went on a, um, a family trip to uh, the Bay Area to visit a whole bunch of family. And I remember driving down the PC, uh, PCH down towards Santa Cruz and uh, Half Moon Bay and seeing surfers there. And I was 15 or 16. And I was like, oh, my God, actual surfers, like like in the TV show. Yeah. And that was the first time I had actually ever seen uh, like, you know, in real life in front of me a surfer. Um, and I was kind of like hooked over then that whole like California dreaming kind of thing. And I, I didn't know how to, you know, put an identity to it because it mm. felt so remote. It felt so unattainable for, you know, somebody like me at that age to do something like that in the geography that I was in. So it just felt like something that I'll never be able to do. And I just was like, that's just how it's going to have to be mm. living in Toronto. Uh, right. So when I found yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of settling. And, you know, that's a whole other conversation of settling um, in that mindset. But I, you know, when I discovered that um, you could do it in on the Great Lakes, and that kind of happened by chance, it wasn't even like, a, maybe you could surf on the Great Lakes, it was more of a, I had found out that you could surf in Tofino in Canada. Um, and then doing that research, um, you know, in the mid uh, 2000 zero zeros is that how you say the year they call them um, the aughts the aughts is that yeah. really yeah oh okay so <laughs> I, I don't know something. what you call the 2010s though or the, the 20 teens the early teens yeah, maybe, yeah. yeah. so when I guess in the early aughts that's a new yeah. one to me yeah. um I had discovered that you can surf on in Canada and in doing more research because I was planning a trip to go to Tofino um, I had found out that you could surf on the Great Lakes. And uh, yeah, that's where it was like, oh, that's new. And it was a it was a mixed feeling of mixed feeling of excitement and like I'm gonna get into this and I'm gonna do whatever the fuck it takes to do this, and also a mix of anger, like real fucking anger, because I was like, this whole time I could have been like yeah. surfing here. I, I have a break by five minutes from the house, like this whole time. Yeah. Uh, but also there is that idea of like, where the heck was I going to get the gear and how was exactly. I going to get my parents to agree to with that kind of stuff? So it was, it was a mixed bag of emotions of yeah. like, you know, yay. And God damn it. I wasted my life. Um, I don't feel that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> I don't feel that anymore. But yeah, that's um, and then from there, it was like, you know, I just kind of grew from it. I found uh, I found a surfboard in California. I took it home. Um, you know, and I just kind of, I learned the, uh, you know, I started talking to people on online yeah. on the origin surf, um, message board or forum back in before surf, before anything like social media existed. Yeah. Was that and, the, I remember a few websites, there was the coastalbc.com, I think. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Don't know, and know there was one. like, there was like, yeah, lake lake surf or lake swell oh lake swell okay. yeah lake swell still exists that's yeah. basically i know the guy behind it um the but origin surf was the sort of message board and forum oh, where, origin surf okay yes and that's where a lot of um you know a bunch of like the ogs of today were were part of and i was part of that and uh yeah that's where you you asked the questions and you got uh you know you you got 
taken down by trolls to ask these like mm, questions yeah. at first and that's yeah and that's uh, how i met a lot of the wildwood guys wow, <laughs> through that yeah. which is kind of funny but yeah and basically from there was a slow start because I, I didn't have gear i didn't have resources social media didn't really exist to get uh, all those instant answers and yeah. so i had to figure it out all on my own um, mostly of course through um, instruction and and uh, tips and tricks from uh, people, including McGillis Schaus and uh, from Bob and from Mike Sandusky. And these are the, you know, the, the men, because uh, there weren't a lot of women that were giving me a lot of advice then, because there just weren't a lot of them, um, you know, were, were giving me these tips on how to find waves. And from there, it just kind of like, okay, I'm just going to put in the work. And um, thankfully, I had a degree in geography uh, that I was able to figure it all out on my own and it's mm -hmm. and uh, that's how it kind of got to be and so now i'm somebody in their 40s who started off in their 20s and i am one of these rare people that have just been that started surfing the lake back when i did and just continuing to do so today into the way surfing exists and manifests itself in content and social media and in people and in its growth and i'm still here Amazing. So I'm still here. I haven't quit. And um, I'm very proud of that. Yeah, that's an incredible story. I I think I first sort of heard your story when I heard you on Taylor's uh, Weird Waves podcast. Oh, yeah. And yeah. when I listened to that, I, I think I just felt this sort of like instant connection with you because my story, obviously very different in so many ways, the whole Philippine thing and that. But <laughs> But in terms of like growing up on the lake and it always being there, and mm -hmm. always kind of calling to you. And then all of a sudden one day you sort of discover what the purpose of that was. <laughs> yeah. Definitely relate to that because like you, my timeline is very much the same late teens. Now I'm late thirties. So about the same sort of time frame as you. So mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and listening to you, the progression, that's so cool because I guess, the difference for you is you were closer to where the action would have been because you're closer to city center. So there's always mm -hmm, more mm -hmm. people. I was in a very isolated place where I was not meeting a plethora of Great Lakes surfers. Although now it's quite a bit different. So you met, yeah, you brought up, yeah, you brought up the name Magilla now. So did you yeah. meet him? Did you know him? Uh, the funny thing is I, I never met him in person. Uh, um, okay. I virtually. unfortunately never virtually. And this is how um, this interaction happened. So it was origin surf. And for, uh, you know, a woman at that time to say, to ask a question as kooky as how do you surf the Great Lakes <laughs> to a bunch of, guys, <laughs> you know, on, first, um, question. first question, how do you surf the Great Lakes? How do you surf the Great Lakes? Um, <laughs> when you pose that question, even today is you get a lot of, anyways, I asked that question a long time ago and I received a lot of, uh, trolling remarks, I guess, from, mm. from people. And, uh, you know, it was very discouraging. And even though I'm friends with some of these people today, yeah, no, I'm calling them out. They're real assholes about it. Um, yeah. but I ended up getting a side, like, I guess, private message is what, yeah. Private message from McGillis house who literally had said, um, you know, don't worry about those guys. Their bark is louder than their bite, mm. was exactly what he had typed to me. 
And he said, you know, if you're looking to surf on the Great Lakes, this is what you need to know. And there was a lot of back and forth of this is the kind of wind. Try to go get this book. And I said, I have the book. I found the book. <laughs> so there was that. Um, there was, you know, the conversation of like, what kind of board am I? we're referencing the, of course, the famous P.L. Straws. Yes. That's yeah, the one surfing the Great so, Lakes, everybody. The Holy Grail, if you don't have it, although it was. <laughs> I don't know where you could find it now. I think it's out of It's print. very hard. Yeah. It's very hard. Although a side note is uh my friend Jordana Belial, she actually found one for I think five bucks or twenty bucks really? at a at a used bookstore in Toronto. And I was yeah. like, that is a that is a gem of a find. So that really I, is. you know, yeah. go go look at your old bookstores. Maybe you might find something there. Yeah. Um but yeah, there, I had questions about like, what kind of board am I looking for? And he used the one who said specifically, you need a, a fun board or a long board, approximately eight feet, yada, yada, yada. And he went on about like what he just kind of basically told me what I needed to know to get started. And also, um, he was just a, a wonderful person to like, ask questions of and he responded back. And I'm sure you could probably find all this information sitting in a, in a hard drive in some guy's basement somewhere in the world. But like it's it was I found this to be very, um, very helpful. Um, he even had mentioned that he used to be part of the uh, Surfriders um, Association and ESA, which, you know, hearing these kinds of these organizations back when I was that age yeah. and just starting my my surf journey were huge things to hear mm -hmm. um and to have somebody like that talk to somebody like me and I you know I don't want to diminish myself but I did have those feelings of of inadequacy mm -hmm. as being a woman as being somebody who doesn't look a lot there weren't a lot of women who looked like me or people even who looked like me that this was it was intimidating to 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 ask but also uh, really grateful to get this info um yeah. Eventually, he, um, you know, I had respond. I had, and I, this was a very interesting one because, like, months went on. You know, I managed to get my first surfboard in California off of Craigslist um, with the specifications that, you know, Magilla said were were good. And uh, several months later, um, some time passed on. He said he actually sent me a message, a direct message, same thing on Origin, and said that he was not well that he was, uh, you know, he had cancer and he hadn't been feeling very well. So I was like, I'm, you know, I, I don't exactly remember what I said, but I said, I'm really sorry. You know, I thank you for, you know, telling me you didn't have to tell me yeah. at all because who the fuck am I? Yeah. Um, and it was, uh, and that was the last time I ever heard from him. Yeah. Tony, that, that's pretty special though that he opened up to you about that. He was, um, you know, it was very short. It's not that I don't want to like, you know, paint the picture that there was any kind of like, you know, true friendship because I never really met him. Yeah. Um, but it was this information and this his his um, and from what I understand, his his aloha, his aloha and his, um, you know, his kindness from his friends that they've expressed expressed about his kindness uh, that mm. made sense. And that's what touched me. And was very, I was very grateful for that. So when I had found out, you know, sometime after that he had passed away and that the Wildwood Surf Club was having, you know, a, a, a memorial and paddle out and that kind of stuff, I only thought that it was, it was right of me to, to attend. And, you know, in, you know, I didn't want to be part of the action, but I just kind of wanted to be there because that was um, one of the things that I was so grateful for is that he, 
gave me this, um, he gave me the information that I needed to know. And he was kind enough to extend himself in that way to somebody like me who had never done this before, who had never met with. And that was kind of the basis of why I provide the information that I do when I can, because somebody was kind enough to do it to me. And that person was Megillah. And I wanted, I wanted, I want to do the same. I want to do right by him. That's that's great. What a legacy. So if I'm if I remember correctly, I believe Megillah was the first Great Lakes surfer to be in Surfer Magazine. I feel like is magazine. that true? I, didn't I know could that. be wrong, but <laughs> I think I remember in my research and studies of this whole thing that I love so much. I believe I read somewhere he was on the cover of Surfer in like 1960. Now I'm gonna no have way. to I'm gonna <laughs> have to I'm gonna have to fact check that. I might even have to erase this from the show if that's not true. <laughs> no, that's fine. I'm, um, I mean, I could probably ask yeah. some of the guys to see if that is true. Yeah. Um, I know that he was a you know a legend, but I I, I didn't know any of that. And uh, you know, out of all the pictures that I've looked at, you know, in the Great Lake Surf mag uh, in the Great Lake Surf book and. Um, yeah, I had no, I, I didn't know, I did not know that. <laughs> well, we will, we will investigate that further. So, in regards to the Wildwood Surf Club, so mm -hmm. um, I have read time and time again, the Wildwood Surf Club is the oldest Great Lakes Surf Club. Now, yeah. I've also had recent conversations where I was hearing a debate that no, the Great Lakes Surfing Association is the oldest surf club. So, oh. Depending who you talk to, that could, there's a little bit of controversy around that subject. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I honestly, I'm, when it comes to members, I'm one of the, I'm one of the newer members. Yeah, yeah. So this. So goes, tell us about I, the Wildwood <laughs> Surf for those listening and they, and they don't even have a clue. Tell tell us about the Wildwood Surf Club. What's it all about? So, uh, so back in the day, before you know, when I was first started going to their events it was really a, a group of a group of people that surfed uh at pleasant beach around along lake area down at wildwood who have been surfing who've been doing so for a while and um there are a lot of uh there were a lot of old white men mm. and <laughs> and uh they they held beach cleanup events they held um you know the glass love surf fest in the summertime which is where a lot of uh, you know surfboard collectors come and it's like a big conference for boards um they just kind of were the the scene i guess before surf shops kind of started opening in in ontario sure, this yeah. is where you kind of went to get you know to meet other surfers and this is where you went to uh you know get your surf culture on kind of thing yeah. And uh, these were the events that they did, the, the annual beach cleanup. And then after that, there was the contest. Um, and then that contest became a memorial contest for, for Megillah. And they were the, really the ones that um, did all the events before, you know, before Surf the Greats did or before Surf Ontario, before, you know, anybody did. Um, these were, they were the people. And so, of course, when you don't, don't, have, don't know a lot of people and you want to get into this thing, that's, that's kind of where you went. That's where uh, I went. Did they yeah. have like some meetings or something that you yeah. would attend or? Okay. Yeah. There were meetings that kind of talked about, you know, a lot of them were just kind of like drinking fests kind of being, oh, to be okay. honest with you. but <laughs> they were also, you know, times there were uh, discussions on, um, you know, how to do the beach cleanups and uh, you know, when's the next date for it to be. And uh, you know, what are we going to do for the contest? 
And uh, it, it, a lot of it was just very easy, not easy, but like logistical things of like, where are we going to get the, um, you know, who's got the trophies, who's going to show up at this time to do that event. It was really kind of casual to be quite okay. honest with you. Um, and that's, that's kind of how I knew it. The, I mean, I don't know how, how much bigger it was or how differently it was run before my time. Um, but that's usually the meetings that I had attended was yeah. just to, you know, talk about like to get, to get together with everybody and see how everyone's doing. And of course, and be social, but also to, you know, figure out what's, what's going to happen in the year ahead. Mm. Um, eventually Pleasant Beach became busy. Um, you know, eventually a lot of people started coming and, um, you know, these guys kind of got older kind of thing. And, um, glass love and now all these events started becoming a very very difficult thing for them to sort of manage in in their time so eventually how things are they just kind of like waned off but at that point that's when i started having ladies of the lakes and lakes or feasts mm -hmm. events and kind of that's how all these now that's that was kind of the event now <laughs> was oh. um bringing the women so it kind of switched gears and because uh, I had, I was lucky enough to be able to get the contacts to um, the uh, Pleasant Beach uh, Homeowners Association and be able to rent the space and, uh, you know, promise them that I wasn't going to fuck it up kind of thing. And being very sure that, you know, trying to be as much of an insider as I could just so I could be able to do this was how that kind of all happened with uh, Lake Surfistas. So wait a minute, let me understand this a little bit. So you're part of the Wildwood Surf Club. And now mm -hmm. you're saying that, you know, people are getting old, they're starting to retire or whatever. So did you sort of take over the hosting of meetings? Or, no? Okay. You just... No, 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 no. I don't okay. want to be known. Definitely not that. And um, I don't, I'm not sure how active everybody is now. I know it's kind of like the guys that are part of the club are doing their thing, surfing when they can. Uh, but in terms of uh, official events, we haven't been able to because of the pandemic. Yeah, uh, okay. The last contest was, uh, you know, Gales of November 2019. Um, and now it's like, you know, some of them have mo are, are moving away. Some of them are, you know, like I said, they're older. They were older then. I love these guys. But <laughs> it's uh, being able to compete with the way the surf scene is now, um, especially with its growth. It's become an industry in this province and a commodity with, you know, a lot of people are discovering the lakes, which is awesome. Um, I'm not sure what the future holds for, for the club, to be quite honest, but to, for it to be a legacy is, is still there. Well, there is, I mean, there, uh, one individual, uh, Matt Roy, who is the, one of the, uh, you know, longtime members, his mom uh, was actually, you know, a member of the Wildwood Surf Club and they still own their cottage down at, uh, down at Wildwood Beach. And um, it was not far from where Magilla had his cottage, uh, so I'm told. And, um, you know, he's, he's still there and he surfs. Um, so, you know, there's, there are a lot of people that are still kind of holding down what they have. But in terms of like a formal club, I, I don't know where that stands anymore okay. just because of, because of time. Yeah. Okay. And if they decide to, and because I, I don't think I, I have a lot of like decision power in this, yeah, but if yeah. they decide like, you know, let's do it, then I'm all, I'm all for it. Yeah. Right on. So you brought up ladies of the lake and the lakes are feast. So how did Ooh. that creep in 
to your uh, your surfing career? Yeah. So after um, you know, I had been working at Surf Ontario for a couple of years. First employee um, ever, right? Yeah, first employee. Like wow. Mike used to Mike used to run it out of his garage. Okay. And then he um, they opened up like a, a small space as like storage. And he called me up one day uh, and because uh, I, I had seen on their website, you know, looking for help. And I, I literally like, you know, that cat meme where they're you know, typing up really fast. Like I was like, okay. I want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> was like, I was really like enthusiastic about like, I, you know, I can do it part time or whatever you like, whatever the fuck you need. Yeah. I just, let me, I want to help. Um, and in November or, or late 2011, he said that they could need some extra hands in the, in the warehouse just to move, like, just to help out. And he'd pay me and I'd be like, yes, it was by no means a, a promise of like employment or any of that, but they just needed to help on a weekend and they knew I surf and they knew my, my flexible schedule. So I was like, I'm in. And then it, it turned into like a part-time job for a while. Nice. <laughs> so, so 2011. I remember I lived in Toronto 2006, seven, something like that. I remember emailing Mike back then because I believe I, I must have seen him in the headlines in a newspaper article or something. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I made a connection with him pretty early on. So what, yeah. what was he, do you know what he was doing pre-2011? Like how long was Surf Ontario around in some capacity, do you know? Um, I think like he had been running it out of his garage for a long time. Yeah, and I okay. know that, uh, he had like that, some, I think he had like waves safari. He was doing like trips, I think oh, and he's okay. also, and he's also a personal trainer. So I think he did oh, okay. a bunch of, um, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I, I bought my first sup from him in 2009 mm. and out of his garage. So <laughs> like, I, oh, cool. so it, it, the, the story existed in some kind of capacity yeah. and I guess it grew. So, um, but I know he was doing like excursions and, um, lessons kind of on the side. I'm not exactly sure what he really did full time before the shop, to be quite honest. <laughs> yeah. So I'm working at the shop and, uh, had been there for some time and of course had not seen the organic growth of more, more women, more people, more of everybody, you know, buying surfboards, buying subs. Um, you know, social media is becoming a thing and people are talking. There's a lot of chatter. Um, and I, um, you know, had been wanting to get with, you know, get people together for, I'd always been somebody who, who brought people together and held parties like outside of surfing. And that was always just the thing that I liked to do. Um, and I had, I remember I had this party once at a, it was a housewarming party in one of, in the apartment that I had rented near Bluffers Park. Um, and Lisa Parks, who now lives in Florida, um, she's like, you know what, we should have a, a party with, with women and, uh, you know, we should get them together. And I was like, um, that sounds awesome. I had been also thinking about doing something similar, but didn't want to do it by myself. And also was just like, this would be a great idea, a great op uh, an idea. And her idea kind of stemmed from the women of the waves get together. That was in, that was happened that had happened in Florida. So, um, oh, okay. Yeah, so I had um, I had the resources and the the um, the network to be able to do that through working through Surf Ontario. So I was able to get sponsors. I was able to get you know FCS on board. Um, you know, uh, Surf Ontario, of course, uh, was on board, and I was and Wildwood was on board, and I was able to um, 
we had our first gathering at uh, Andy's cottage, Andy Holland, who has a cottage down at um, at Pleasant Beach. And he said, you know, feel free to use the outside. And he was so gracious enough. Mm. And he is a Wildwood member. He was so gracious enough to let us, us women use his space. Um, and that's how the first Ladies of the Lakes gathering event happened on, in 2014. Yeah, 2014. And we had waves. There was like 30 or 40 women that showed up. And it was just so good. It was such a beautiful experience because all like 30 women to us at then was like, holy shit, there's so many of us. And the feeling was so good and so positive. And it brought a lot of us to like these happy tears that we just thought we can't, we can't stop. We have to keep, we have to do this again. People want it again. We have to. And that's kind how of how this it started. feel different than a party or an event that that's co-ed. Like, how did this? <laughs> um, oh, wow. So that's kind of like in the, you could file this under the, like under women and women in feelings. Cause even, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, not even sorry. Um, Cause we, me, Lisa and I had, she had put a lot of work into, um, you know, creating a, a space. And I did a lot of work in trying to make, do the, get the logistics of everything. And even working with her to get it done was, you know, not like working with the guys at Surfo or not, not like trying to plan an event with, um, you know, Wildwood and those guys, it w- it felt different. And then having all these women show up and feeling like the sigh of relief of like, oh my God, you guys are my sisters. And oh my, oh my goodness. Like, all these women together surfing and, and sharing. There was children playing a bonfire and food was shared. Like it was such a, an open, happy space of, of encouragement. Uh, there was absolutely zero bashing of like, look at that guy kind of stuff. Mm. Cause that tends to happen with a lot of like guys, I think. Yeah. But um, you know, there was, there was absolutely none of that. And it was such a, we had created this space and all these women had become part of that, um, that space of, uh, of encouragement, of love, of being able to look within ourselves and see each other. And it was nice. It's kind of like when you get all these women together, right? And we didn't want it to stop. Well, I asked that question purposely. Um, I know it seems funny, but I asked it directly on purpose because I, I, I am a guy. I am a white guy. <laughs> People look at me and probably think I have all the advantages, which I probably have more than I'm aware of. Um, but I'd like to think that I operate from a place of compassion and trying to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, because even me, like, I'm not going to lie, hanging out with a bunch of guys, yeah, so, sometimes there's so much freaking ego or. Yeah. Sometimes I don't even want to go surfing because I'm afraid, like, I'm not going to look good enough for certain people or, you know, they're ripping it up on Instagram or whatever. Like, it's kind of, oh, yeah. that was, I'm used that to surfing. Yeah. So the women, that was a part of the thing was like, well, there was no judgment. There was yeah. never any, there will never be judgment. There will be the women who are, are kicking ass and there's the women who are just, who have just started. And we wanted to hold space for everyone, uh, for all of these women, because this kind of space didn't exist before on the Great Lakes. So we made it, we made it happen. So I'm gonna say, what I wanna say about all this is that I attended the Lake Surfista's like uh, forecasting workshop, right? Oh yeah. 
And I'm not sure if I was supposed to be there or not, you know, as a man, but okay. <laughs> good. Way. It's, I by the way, it's a side anyway. thing. It was a side thing. So a couple of, uh, you know, once we started getting really going, you know, we had a good flow with, a with the beach event we had, um, I had, I had always employed like the wildwood guys. It's kind of not like muscle, but like, I need some extra help. I need some big guy hands to help us carry some boards and, you know, direct traffic kind of stuff. And these guys have always been um, so awesome in helping us out with this. And I, and I so grateful for it. Um, but each time they're like, are, are we allowed to stay? Can we, <laughs> <laughs> do we have to leave? And I'm like, no, you guys, have, you guys, of course are welcome here. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, you know, you guys are helping out. It's, it's, but it was really, I thought it was really cute and really sweet that they're like, do we have to go? And I'm like, no, 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 hang out. Just, um, just know that today is for us. Yeah. That's all. Well, I think <laughs> you know, some you know. of us guys get that. We get that this is the Lake Surfaces. This is your thing. But I think some of us just really want to support it, you know, because we, we and think we're, it's great. We yeah. love that. We, um, you know, this kind of thing is, 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 is genuinely, gratefully um, accepted. We're never going to be like, no, you can't be a part of this. Obviously, there are some spaces that are strictly for just, uh, you know, for women and people who identify as women. But uh, for for all the support that we get, we are we welcome all kinds of support. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm saying. <laughs> because at that even that weather forecasting thing, you know, like I felt very safe there to just listen and and be chill and didn't have to worry about all that ego stuff or like being talked over or put down or anything. Not to say it's always like that, but right, right. I'm probably feeling a little bit more negative at the moment because I, oh. I'm still trying to get used to this whole uh, social media stuff and, and I'm experiencing, you know, God, I mentioned a town and then I got the world coming at me for blowing uh, spots up and like, it's just exhausting. I'm at the point. It is now. exhausting. Yeah. I'm having a really, I'm actually struggling with this. Uh, I am all about spreading the sport and I've always been and what it's done for me in my life. Mm -hmm. I want to share that with others. And, mm -hmm. but then other people do not want you to do that. Oh yeah, I've encountered that enough, oh. many, 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 many times, enough times, yeah. um, for sure. And to that, I say, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like you know, when the New York Times writes about Great Lake Surfing, the the secret is out. There is yeah. no secret at all about like Great Lake Surfing. The only secret that lies is whether or not you have, if whether or not a surfer has the knowledge or is able to attain the knowledge or gain the knowledge on where to go. And mm -hmm. if they legitimately find out that Inver Huron is a spot, then you found it. Good for you. Um, you know, if somebody told you because it's no longer a secret anymore, also good for you. But as that surfer, you have a responsibility still to make sure that you get in that spot properly, that you're yeah. not creating uh, a dangerous situation for others if you go up and you show up at the spot and it's too busy you have a responsibility to either a enter that lineup responsibly or find somewhere else and this is kind of like part of that code that people are don't uh you know are not realizing and this idea that all these spots are so secret it's like no these places are all blown up already um if there's it's a, if there's waves at one spot there's going to be waves at another so go find it if you want to go and squeeze in there, go for it. 
if you, you know, if you found out the place on social media because someone told you, you know, what's up, cool. You just got to be responsible for it. Don't be a, don't be a kook. Don't be posting it on social media with your picture saying, here I am at, you know, X spot, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, there's blowing up a spot and then there's also realizing that the place is already blown up. Yeah. There's, you know, it's, it's once it has legs, it's gone, it's moved. And I've, I've even, and I've even realized that with, with Lake Surfistas, um, you know, there are, it has legs now and I don't have, not to say that I have no control, but there's a lot of stuff that I no longer have control over. You know, you go in, you know, in our group discussion, somebody will ask a question and a whole other people like bunch of people will respond and respond when give answers. And I did not even be part of that conversation. That's where I know that we've grown. It has legs and it's doing the thing that we intended it to be. So mm -hmm. for these who are trying to gain this control, um, no man, just control yourself. So, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna happen. So, I mean, <laughs> Mike <laughs> Mic drop. drop. Yeah. Seriously. And, and this goes down to like, Sure, if you are a kick-ass surfer, but you're not following surfer code, um, you know, that's, you, you just gotta, you gotta do what's right when you get into this situation. And I'm seeing all kinds of, like, crowds and shit show kind of conditions, you know, in Toronto spots. And because Toronto is so populated the way it is, um, of course, you're gonna find it here. It's, like, great. I, I mean, I, I, I understand the excitement that it brings for a lot of people. I get it. Um, and I know what it means to be green and no, not understand anything and just want to like, just want to surf, just want to go out there. Um, I get it. But um, I think all of us who have been doing this for a while have a responsibility to educate others and say, hey, man, good luck. Congratulations. You figured it out. But here are some things that you need to know about the safety of the place, the history of the place and what you got to know. And if you still decide to go out there and do your thing, that's not up to me. It's up to you. Um, that's just my, my, my humble opinion about it. I love it. Thank you for saying that. Like I said, I'm feeling so fatigued by this right now that I'm not even going to contribute to this because you just said it all. I love it. I just want people to, you know, know that the surf culture that we have here on the Great Lakes is a special one. We are full of stoked people, excited people, people who are no longer able to travel for surf and have to do it here so we are we are in it's crowded for sure i i i saw a picture of uh pleasant beach that i took like five years ago and i'm the only person in the parking lot and it's like yeah. that doesn't happen anymore so it's either make room or tell people or you know show people um you know the right way or show people the kindness and the respect that we should all have and if that kindness and respect is refraining from us from surfing at a surf spot or, you know, you know, teaching people how to do things, you know, a little bit more respectfully, then then that's the way. But, you, you know, I don't know. It's, it's such example. a it's such a lead by example. So it's at that point where it's like, OK, if you're intimidated, then fuck it. I'm just going to let my surfing show it. So I'm just going to show up at the spot anyways and and do what I do. And it took me how long to really surf the way I did. So I'm just going to surf well. And that's right it. On. Yeah. 
I guess all I'm saying is I get it. I don't want to ruin anyone's fun, but at the same time, I'm just tired of people ruining my fun. I feel like my stoke tank is so full. I'm overflowing. Don't let that others. Don't. Someone you can't comes let along others. and pokes a big hole in my gas tank. It, you know, and it, that's you that can't let others. Tough for me. I, and I and I'm and I'm saying this out of out of sincerity uh, as somebody who has with the longevity with the type of. I guess, career and journey that I've had this long in Great Lakes surfing, I've had enough people try to burn my stoke mm. by taking from me, by telling me I'm not worthy, telling me that I don't have the body, I don't have the whatever, but I've been here for this long and there's a reason for that. Yeah, and so, you know, and for those that, uh, you know, may think that they just showed up and they can do whatever the shit, cool. That's cool. I'm just going to let my surfing and let my kindness and let my, how I show my love for this sport shine through above everything else. Nice. Take the power back. So take the power back within yourself. And, you know, and if any, and sometimes it all, all it takes is a conversation. If you reach out, you'd be surprised once, you know, you know, their bark is, as, as Vigila said, their bark is bigger than their bite. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes it, it has, it can deal with a, you know, engaging a conversation. And if it just becomes completely aggressive, then that's on them. Can you imagine if people were so secretive about other stuff though? Like, like I'm not going <laughs> to tell you where my tennis court is. Like, yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I don't want you getting into tennis. Don't tell them no. where the tennis courts are. <laughs> I mean, like. There, I, I understand why there is reason for people not to blow up certain spots because it's, it's either a, you know, a particularly tricky spot to paddle into. It's not meant for, for novices. And of course that is a huge safety aspect. And I, and I a hundred percent get that. Um, you know, it's, it lies in private property and I know with, you know, no one ever owns the shoreline uh, as a real estate agent, I get that it is private property and, you know, there's not really much I can do about that. So I, I get that there is that desire and that requirement to make sure that places aren't blown up or like plastered over uh, Instagram, but um, that shouldn't stop you from surfing the spot. Yeah. It's what you do with that information. It's what you do with that surf spot that counts. Do you just leave it there? You surf, you spent your time, you, you rode the waves, you enjoyed your own personal stoke in that moment and then you left it there? Amazing. Um, you know, it's when people are, are doing that and, but they're doing it for the gram or they're doing it for something else. Yeah. And that's where that's, and that's where that per perpetuates that attitude of people blowing up spots. Yeah. Don't do it for the gram, do it for the surf. I realized that I'm not one of the perpetrators here because all <laughs> my surfing photos are like pre 2004 and they're super grainy and taken on like a Kodak. <laughs> water disposable camera i don't have <laughs> i see all these photos of people surfing these are incredible who are who people are getting these like super talented photographers out there with them now yeah so. well like it's uh again it's like the growth of a of a scene like there yeah. weren't a lot before and now there are many it's a big toronto scene it's <laughs> it's nuts because like I, and i've i've said it many times and I feel like such an old person now when I say oh yeah back in my day there was yeah. like three people in the water and it was busy 
And now it's like, uh, you, you know, you go to a bay and it's like, there's 50 people in the water and no one is adhering to surfer code. And, and I also get, that's another thing about surfer code or surf etiquette. It's as much as people try to press that into people, it's so hard to adhere to, especially when our lakes are disorganized the way they are. So it's like, so I get why people are not adhering to surfer code or etiquette because it's physically almost impossible to do so yeah. <laughs> where where we live. Um, Robin, the 41-year-old yeah. oracle. You know what's going <laughs> on. Wow. <Yeah. laughs> um, aside from the whole spot thing, I think mm-hmm. the bigger issue for me that I'm facing is, is all that stuff aside, it's just some of the dialogue on these Facebook groups and different things that come my way. It's like people, and maybe it's COVID, I don't know, but people are automatically defaulting to what I call dick mode, you know? Like rather than just being nice and maybe asking something kindly, it's like people are just coming automatically disturbed and being kind of a dick the way they approach you with things. And that's what I have a problem with. I have a real problem with people I react much better to kindness, like kill me with kindness and you'll get, I will take down the post, I will change my tune, I'll do whatever. But you come at me with arms swinging and there's this natural part of us that kind of wants to retaliate. Like, hey, of course, you, dude. Of course. It's well, a why human does instinct. your opinion win over mine, you know? So I, I'm not loving that whole vibe right now. No. I'm, I'm trying to navigate those waters a little bit. And, and there's a difference between calling somebody out in person rather than behind a keyboard, gotcha. behind your profile, behind an avatar. Yeah. So, and it's harder to do that because of COVID. Um, and it's easier to type away your feelings uh, without, uh, you know, without any interruption in front in front of your screen so i don't know um I, you know i still get people who you say, don't give up away that spot or whatever don't give it away and it's like dude i give it away to you so yeah. <laughs> like really yeah exactly i know well, but so you know it's all it's all good here let's all celebrate together so, so yeah i don't know just be kind and you know i i know it came up to often is like really mad but eventually again if you open up that dialogue and say hey let's talk about this in person you'll find that people tend to disarm yeah we just need to talk and you know what i will say this one day after mother's day yeah today's monday yeah in 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 memory of all our moms and and things like this i will say i love my mom and she raised me to always be nice first and foremost be nice and that's just the code I live by. And I'm not going to sacrifice kindness for secret information or whatever, whatever, whatever. I don't care what it is. Being kind to people is way more important to me than disclosing or not disclosing a surf spot or whatever, whatever it is. So, if anyone out there has an issue with me right now, I'll I'll just put that out there. That that's where I stand. That the first thing for me is I put being kind over everything. So, and if you come to me with that, then you'll get a much better response. And I bet you, if you try that with everyone else in your life, 
you'll probably get a much better response. So I just feel just like ride the wave. Honestly. Right now, yeah, ride right now with COVID, like, man, things are so bad enough. Do we really mm -hmm. need to be adding to that drama? Especially, we're like a family. Like, I mean, come on. There's like, in the whole world population, like if you were to distill it down into like a ratio, there's like one Great Lakes surfer. You know what I mean? So like, let's just, <laughs> yeah. let's just chill out and yeah. just support each other and be friends. But anyway, that's my prerogative. Robin, we're coming up to a close here. What else are you stoked about, man? Oh, I'm stoked about my, um, my garlic garden. Okay. <laughs> I'm stoked about, um, you know, being safe in, in my house. I love my house. I love my house that ha I can see the lake from my front yard. It's wow. awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely stoked on that. Um, Is it a surf break? Uh, further down. Oh, a little okay. Bit. okay. Not too, not too far. I okay, can walk great. to a couple. I can walk to a couple surf breaks from my house. Um, and I'm, I'm stoked on the fact that ever since I was a little girl, my, my life by the lake continues on. Love it. And it ain't going anywhere. This is no. This is your legacy. <laughs> I hope so. Right on. Right I hope. On. I hope so. Yeah. Well, hey, when this COVID stuff is over, I can't wait to like meet in person and hang out, and and maybe go catch some surf and and eat some. Uh, we were talking about panda set and panda cell. Panda cell. Yeah. Yeah. Dread. Panda cell. It's uh. Yeah. It's um. Filipino foods, another thing that I do a lot of cooking and all that yeah. stuff is another thing I'm super stoked on. Um, it's funny, again, just like surfing, it's a way of life. It's, you know, I could showcase it, but either way, it's still a part of my life. So, yeah, that's a whole other conversation of showcasing and, and uh, you know, what one does versus what they show on Instagram, I guess. But, um, yeah, I'm stoked on on food. I've always been stoked on on good food and flavors and that's another place where I feel my Zen is creating dishes and creating food for family and friends. And I can't wait to do that again at an extended level rather than my family in this house. And I love feeding them, but like, I want to feed others. <laughs> yeah. So you got three men or boys in I got, your house. Yeah. I got, I got three, three boys in this wow. house. So probably a lot of food intake. Yeah, it's a lot of snacks. It's a lot of, yeah. You know, they're they're teenagers, so there's um, you know, I've I've kind of stopped, and they're here half the time. The other half the time, okay. they're with their mother. But uh, yeah, on the weeks that they're here, it's there's a lot of snacks and a lot of like you know foraging, and you know, it is what it is. They're teenagers. So they, surf home. they bodyboard, so oh, they okay. we've well, I've taken them bodyboarding. Um, they're they picked it up pretty quickly. Um, I think now at their teenage years, they're kind of into their, their own little things. And I you know that I get that. Um, but I know that if, you know, if there was surf close by, which it is, and, uh, if their wetsuits still fit, hopefully <laughs> then mm. they'd come back out with me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. My wetsuit doesn't quite fit as good as it did pre COVID <laughs> either. Jeez. Yeah. Robin, where can people find you online and connect with you? Yep, they can find me at uh, uh, my Instagram handle is Robin Sue. Uh, that's the best way to find me. Hopefully, I'll have a website up and running soon. That's uh, kind of in the works. Um, for some other things. For Lake Surfistas or for uh, something else? 
for something else. Oh, okay. <laughs> something else. Uh, but lakesrepizzas.org uh, for more information about the women's community that we have here. Um, if you're a woman or you identify as a woman, we've got the Lakes for Pieces discussion page on Facebook, which is a open and uh, a safe space for, for women of the Great Lakes to talk surf, sup, ask questions and stuff. There's no judgment whatsoever. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm always up for questions, comments, collaborations, and anything whatsoever. I'm always open to listening. Amazing. I love that you found a need, something that you experienced yourself. A hard time breaking in talking about surfing especially mm -hmm. amongst men and you've yeah. created a safe <laughs> platform for you like that's something that you would have loved to have had i'm sure oh, yeah. when you were getting into it and now you're providing that for others so i think that is super uh great of you and thank you for doing that and i'm sure the women are over the moon with that community you guys have created and i'm so stoked that it exists and i'm stoked that there's people like you rocking this great lakes culture keeping it alive keeping the stoke alive picking me up on a day like this when i'm feeling <laughs> a little disturbed by some of it so robin thank you so much for coming on the show it's been a pleasure can't wait to go catch some surf together post COVID, uh, post, yeah, me too. post apocalypse. <laughs> In the Thanks, meantime, Derek. stay stoked, Robin. Thanks, Derek. Thank you for having me. That's all for episode number 45 of Permastoked. I hope you enjoyed listening or watching. Again, I want to say a big mahalo to Robin Peking for her time on the show and just for all her knowledge of, of realty and her surfing history. And just thanks for putting it all out there, Robin. That was a really fun interview. I'd been waiting quite a while to, to meet Robin and the payoff was great. So if you'd like to connect with Robin, you can find her online and the Lake Surfistas at www.lakesurfistas.org and of course on Instagram at Robin Sue. give a big mahalo to Mark Malibu and the Wasagas for providing our intro music Hey Chihuahua off their 2019 album Crash Monster Beach and our outro music End of Summer off their 2017 album Return of the Wasagas. For more information visit www.wasagas.com. But of course mahalo to all you listeners out there. We are so grateful that you chose to join us for this episode and we look forward to providing you with even more awesome content in the future. More episodes are on their way, but in the meantime, make sure to go back and listen to our previous episodes. Don't miss an episode ever again by subscribing on the Alexa app, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Podbean, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please let us know how we're doing by leaving us a rating and review. And don't forget to share with your family and friends over social media or by spreading the word in the lineup. To learn more about freshwater surf goods and to check out our products and services, 
visit www.freshwatersurfgoods.com. Sign up for our newsletter so you can stay up to date on new products, new episodes of Permastoked, events, our surf, sup, and yoga schedule, and other exciting news. And don't forget, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Freshwater Surf Goods. But if you're part of the surf or sup industry, or a surfaholic wanting to connect with your tribe and stay informed as to what's happening all across the Great Lakes and Canadian surf scene, then join our Facebook group, the All Canadian Surf and Sup Club. If you have an idea for collaboration, would like to recommend a future guest, would like to invite me to an event or book me to teach surf, sup, or yoga, you'd like to carry our products in your store, if you or your company are interested in being a sponsor of the show, discussing an ambassadorship or a bro deal, and for anything else, hit me up on social media or email me at Derek at freshwatersurfgoods.com. That's Derek at freshwatersurfgoods.com, D-E-R-I-K. I look forward to next time and getting to know you all better. In the meantime, I'm your host, Derek Hyatt. Mahalo, freshies. Keep surfing and stay stoked.